Welcome to New Game Netcast, the official podcast of NewGameNetwork.com. This is episode 3 for Sunday, April 29th, 2012. Today on the show, we'll talk about Crisis 3, our updated website header design, and our latest contest. We'll chat about our reviews of Fez, Defenders of Ardenia, and Tribes Ascend. Also on the show today, we'll talk about Silent Hill Revelations, the movie, the Dishonored trailer, Stalker 2 being cancelled, the Uncharted games being made into a continuous cinematic movie, PlayStation All-Stars, as well as the role of video games in popular media. We discuss Dota 2 being free to play, the Diablo 3 open beta, and some more Wii U rumors, as well as our question of the episode. Hello everybody, welcome once again to episode number 3 of the New Game Netcast. We're making quite a run at it, who knows we might even make it to 10 episodes. Joining me today once again is Peter. Hello. Tim. Hey. Matthew. Hello. And Evan. Greetings. And this is Alex. Some of the popular topics on the site this week. We've had Crisis 3 announced for 2013. First Guild Wars 2 beta test happening right now, actually, as we're recording this. Our contest for Ghost Recon Future Soldier multiplayer beta keys was quite popular. We've updated the site, header design, and Max Payne 3 PC system specifications have been released. I don't know. Regarding Crisis 3, is anyone else a bit disappointed that it's going to be in New York again? I mean... So many games take place in New York, and now we're going back there yet again for Crisis 3. I kind of I felt that way just a little, especially because from other people, from what I've heard personally, there was a bit of a disappointment even that New York was used for Crisis 2 at all. But what about the whole, it's in New York, but it's a forest and <laughs> yeah. a dome? <laughs> it's kind of like saying, oh look, we have some Crisis 1 still in there. Yeah, I mean, and I have to say, that's that's pretty clever. It's New York, but not New York as you know it, you know? Yeah. What was the main draw of Crisis in the beginning? It was never... It was know. a nanosuit. Having, like, the different uh, suit powers, like, running really fast or being really strong. And the open-world type of setup where you could approach it from, you know, any angle you want, really. And that's something that Crisis 2 didn't really do, obviously. Uh, but it was still it was still pretty good, but it was you know linear due to the console restrictions and all that stuff. And it was obviously the best looking game ever for a while there. So how, how are they going to? If am I right in thinking Crisis One was in a jungle type environment? Yeah, yes. it was on an island. On a jungle right. island. Okay, and how did that transfer that sandbox into the second one? Well, I just said it didn't. It was pretty much linear for Crisis 2. So you can just go off and run about? Not really, no. So this is going to be like an amalgamation of both. So you'll have, hopefully, none of the linear, but with some of the sandbox in a more kind of grid-like environment in New York. Potentially. I mean, the details are scared at this point. You say the, uh, the trick that they're pulling is, in New York, they're going to be having several different biomes, or environments, I guess, in fact, dividing it evenly by sevens. Oh, I see. Um, but I'm not sure, yeah, from that description alone, I'm not sure whether that means 
you'll be progressing through them one by one, or you can pick your environment, essentially. Oh, now I'm going to do a desert mission. Now I'm going to do a jungle mission or whatever. Knowing Crisis, it's story-driven, so you're probably going to progress through them one after another without any choice in how you approach them. All right, then. Um, What about the updated header design? Pretty fancy. Is it sexy? (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I like its functionality. I think its visual style might need a bit of a polish, but I'm not a designer. I think that I like gunmetal grey. Maybe we could add a bit of a, get another layer on there. Maybe add some reflectivity. You know, make it more uh, gradient inclined. Agreed. Reflectivity. Really? Exactly. Okay. And of course, the uh, highlight news for the past couple of weeks was our contest for uh, Ghost Recon Future Soldiers. So, congrats to all those who are listening that potentially won. We gave away 22 keys to the multiplayer beta, courtesy of Ubisoft, and uh, we had over a thousand entries, so the competition was fairly intense, but uh, congrats to all those who won. Is there anything on the horizon that uh, you can hint at, competition-wise, or are we yes. playing it? All yes, right. we can. Uh, potentially next week, there is a certain something releasing a DLC for a certain snowboarding game that we might have some to give away. Right. All right, some of the reviews we had on the site this week, past couple weeks, I should stop making that mistake. Fez scored a 92, Grand Slam Tennis 2 scored a 64, Connect Star Wars picked up a 67, Defenders of Rodania had a 71, and Tribes Ascend picked up an 85. And uh, here with us today to talk about Fez is Matthew, and uh, another week, another high-scoring review, explain yourself. Yeah, I, I do apologize. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's just that good, yeah. Um, it's it's an amazing mashup of the retro and quite a new fresh gameplay idea. Um, it's kind of it's kind of a two D platformer, but you can uh, manipulate the perspective from four different angles. So when you can change uh, ninety degrees, change the camera ninety degrees round. And everything has a three-dimensional relationship, but all of your from all of your perspectives that you can view it from, it, um, it all kind of looks 2D because of the way that the graphics are constructed. So there's some really, really cool and ingenious puzzles constructed from that. And it's just a great game, great game. There's lots of, um, there's, there's so much to discover in it as well. There's, um, there's, there's like a hidden hieroglyphic language made of block designs and uh, Tetra shapes as well really cool definitely try it out i think it's great well how, how do you feel about um because what i've seen from some indie games is that the ones that seem to get some notoriety they kind of they have a gimmick to their yeah. 2dness you know with braid and with um <clears throat> i can't remember the one it was one where it was in uh was it black and it was uh black and white and you were the boy and the spot. Lim- limbo limbo mm-hmm. they kind of had these yeah um gimmicks to them does that is that all the gameplay is that makes it good the gimmicks or is there is there more to them? No, no, no. Yeah, it's just it does it does have a gimmick in in its um, perspective shifting gameplay like three D and two D mashup, but it's not just that it's the, it's the whole retro setting it's it's the puzzles that it constructs out of them are really ingenious, and it's really well balanced and it's just a fun little world to explore as well. 
with so many references to retro games. So it isn't just a one-note game, it's got the whole package? No, no, no. It's, it's got multiple layers. I skimmed over most of your review, but I was a little confused because you mentioned the puzzles all center around the perspective switching mechanic, right? Yeah. But, but you said at the same time there are no enemies. Uh, what's your goal? And Well, your goal is just to collect... Um, well, it goes a bit beyond this, but it's just to collect 32 cubes to make up this gigantic cube that you that you shatter at the start of the game. So it, it's a really simple premise. There's nothing really to it narratively, and um, it's really retro in that way, but it doesn't really need anything because its puzzles are just so entertaining and so fun to play through. But I mean, like, the goal of each puzzle is essentially to get from A to B to, to collect the cube type thing? And it's yeah, all yeah. navigation-based? Yeah, it's all navigation-based. No enemies in, in it whatsoever. I, I, like I really, really can't imagine that game with enemies in it. It would just be so difficult, because it is difficult as it is figuring out exactly what you need to do. The challenge comes from the puzzles. It is a so puzzle game, really. Your brain is the enemy. Your brain. <laughs> the limitations of your mind. Is yeah, all right. Yeah. I like it. Also here is Evan to talk about his Defenders of Ardenia review. Yeah, I finally was able to... Uh, went through this game, tried out, finished the, campa- the campaign and everything. It, as I mentioned, we talked a little bit about this last month when I was playing it. It's the deepest, most colorful, best graphic uh, tower defense game I've ever played. I guess it sort of depends on how much you love tower defense games, really. Yeah, because it's still a tower defense game, basically, at the end of the day. Right, which is sad, because I've seen other games take a basic a basic game idea and blow it up into something fantastic. You know, I've seen... Uh, space Invaders, blown up into a full-blown, you know, game with RPG elements. I've seen Pong. If you, any of you <laughs> back in the days of 90s ever played variations like Mortal Pong Bat? <laughs> I, I played the Pong game on the PS1. <clears throat> oh, okay, well, yeah, you know, there are good ways of, of doing this, but uh, it's very hard to make to take a simple idea like Tower Defense and make it exciting enough that you would want to spend hours on it, you know? Uh, and I thought that was kind of part of the weakness of Defenders of Ardania, really. It was it very addictive enough. It, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't addictive enough, or a good a good tower defense game. You know, the best tower defense games I've ever played, you know, don't last longer than twenty minutes. You know, let's say, and then that's you know including you know several playthroughs. But Defenders wants to be the kind of thing that you'll sit down with your friends and maybe push for a half hour game, a forty five minute game. And Tower Defense just doesn't hold your interest for that long. So this wasn't very deep, then, was it not? It was deep. It was they, they really tried hard. It was deep in the sense of uh, they had everything. Okay, most good Tower Defense games. <laughs> not that I'm an expert. Most good Tower Defense games implement uh, two or three ideas that are yeah. very good, and you don't see in other games. And in Defender's Defense, <laughs> uh, they had like. Six or seven of these. They had hero units. They had slowing towers. They had resource management. And they had an offensive aspect of it, of creating your own units to fight back. Mm. Uh, They had stealth units. Uh, They had XP uh, and uh, economic upgrades. And these are all things that add depth to the game. But it still kind of felt like adding on lots and lots of bells and whistles Mm. to... To something that was still just tower defense. You so know? Yeah, so none of those new elements really made a major difference in how 
it was still just basically tower defense with a few a few things tacked on. In the end, yes, but a very pretty tower defense. So, mm. so it was more convoluted than it needed to be, and that was just was for it? the sake of ma- making it look like there was more to it. I kind of felt that way, yeah. But although maybe it was just because, I mean, uh, it definitely wasn't fun playing against the computer or AI or on the campaign, yeah. especially because you realize half of these bells and whistles really don't matter at all. Uh, you can get through, you know, you can get through the whole whole game without ever using this type of unit. You know, I, I essentially beat the game using one or two units. Right. But maybe if I'd had better online multi, uh, better online opponents. Who knows? Maybe there's all kinds of depth there that uh, that I'm just not aware of. How, how does the multiplayer work? And the multi- oh, sorry, and the basic premise of the multiplayer, if that's what you meant, was that not only are you defending with towers, but you're also the source of units that attack your opponent's oh, base. Okay. And uh, your ability to upgrade your towers, the mana essentially, is also what your units cost. Okay. Which is kind of a clever idea. So you'll see waves of units coming your way, and you'll have to decide, ah. Do I build more towers and defend against this, or do I spend that mana on units to push through? Attack units, yeah. Exactly. Cool. Right on. And uh, one more game we can talk about is uh, Tribes Ascend, which actually got 85, which is, well, not only one of our first free-to-play game reviews, but it's probably the highest rated as well. Has anybody had a chance to actually download and play it, or play the original back in the day? I played the uh, beta a couple months ago, and it was pretty fun. And it was what was impressive is how frequently, like throughout the beta, and now that it's released, they just continually added new content, like new guns and new maps and new modes. And I think whenever you felt you were getting burnt out, they'd kind of add something new for you to play. And it's a it's a lot of fun. And uh, according to the review, it's really one of the first uh, games that's not pay to win, but rather pay to have you know something extra. But it doesn't really uh, hinder your ability to compete in the shooter. So so it's all aesthetics, really? Uh, I don't know if it's all aesthetics, but uh, apparently it's not as big as um, you know most free-to-play games, whereas you really should drop some money if you want to stay competitive. <laughs> well, how it works is you can unlock everything uh, just by playing for free, but you earn experience really slowly. You could also just pay a little bit of money to kind of surpass that and just pay for the guns or whatever that you're uh, trying to unlock. As, as Ben says, you guys with PCs still check it out. Some of the interesting topics we've come across the past couple of weeks, and again, we should stop saying that, uh, Silent Hill Revelation 3D is in theaters in October in North America. Um, I actually am having trouble recalling what the last Silent Hill was. Was that Iwi Bowl? How many Silent Hill films have there been? I've seen one, and it was terrible. Sorry, uh, the director was Christopher Guns, and it was written by Roger Avery. And Just the one film, right? Um, yes, there may have there may have may have been an anime of it, but or, or CGI. I don't know if I'm. This is going to be live action, though. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, this is going to be. But the problem is, they've got uh, Almighty Bean in there, and uh, it, it, obviously he always ends up dying in everything he's in. And the, the focus is, it's off Silent Hill 3, isn't it? So. Right. Yeah, and there's a couple of decent actors in there as well, I think. Oh yeah, Bean, Bean pulls through, you know what I mean? If you want, if you want dedication. Oh my god, Sean Bean, I just saw that and I didn't know he was in this. Oh He's yeah. He's probably he, not gonna live. 
He was okay. in the first one, but the, that's that's the thing they they killed him off in the first one, which was, or, or, or he did something or other. But um, no, they should he, they should keep him in. He'll come back as a ghost. Oh, oh, I hope so. But uh, and then you've got oh sorry I can't remember the woman. It's uh, Matrix. Carrie Ann Moss. Carrie Ann Moss. That's it. She was in Memento as well. Uh, yeah, she's in there. Um, they've they've got solid actors, but the thing is, it's it's always been the direction and writing that suffered because you know, the Silent Hill games are meant to be. They're kind of scary, psychological, and even though they weren't, you know, even though the dialogue was may have been a bit stilted in places, yeah. it was it was it always had the atmosphere, and I don't, I don't think putting a film in 3D is going to bring the atmosphere there. You know, are they just are they just well, going that, after the Resident Evil audience? Yeah, possibly, but the, it's got you've got such a great wealth because um, Silent Hills, you know, it's contained, it's small, and there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. Uh, it's just a, a shame it hasn't been getting the uh, kind of uh, I don't know what it deserves in some degree. A good kind director. Of... <laughs> uh, this guy does not look so promising. A director who knows how to give atmosphere in the film and to give horror from the situation rather than just action yeah. jump scares. Yeah, which is what which is what Silent Hill's great at, the games. Yeah, the, the the director has um, a, a horror background, but you know, it depends. Oh, very promising looking, though. I haven't heard of any of these movies. I heard of Brotherhood of the Wolf. That was quite. That was supposed to be all right. Yeah, it's just the the transition from uh, game to film. I don't know. It, it it doesn't have to be terrible. I'm trying to think of a film that did it well. I can't think of a single video game film that I thought was. Are you Yes. Horrible. Let alone enjoyable. Hitman was alright. Yeah, yeah, Hitman was good. Minus, I mean, granted, minus all the sword fights and other weird shenanigans, but, you know, at least they they try to keep the style and the character in there, at least, I think. Yeah, Yeah, for for the most part. um, The first Mortal Kombat wasn't terrible. Uh, Oh. (laughs) It wasn't terrible. <laughs> was it good? See, that's funny because I thought it was so bad it was good. Like the first Mortal Kombat, I thought it was just fun to watch, not but because th- it was great, but because it was so awful. I, th- I think it was it directed by and Paul W S Anderson, was it? I think, and because um, because he took the helm on uh, the Resident Evil movies as well. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it was. Yeah. Because he writes and directs, and I think did he also do um, Equilibrium? Oh y- yes, that, I think yeah, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. And th- Same that, guy. That makes so much sense, actually. Yeah, but Equilibrium was awesome. But um, I, yeah, so back to Silent Hill. Um, it it it's based off the third game, and uh, there'll probably be Pyramid Head in there, <laughs> and, and all the rest of the gang coming back. Well, Pyramid Head isn't in the third uh, game, so. He'll probably I only saw him in the second. Six. I never played the third, though. They'll just throw him in there anyways. Cause yeah, they got to promote that thing, right? Ah, true. But oh, me, my I... God, it has Malcolm McDowell in it from a clockwork nice. orange. That is ridiculous. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think how 3D is going to enhance the... Well, I guess I guess if Malcolm McDowell's in 3D with those kind of that hair and eyebrows and that haunting <laughs> face... That would uh, give it the atmosphere. Yeah, it would, it would just be him kind of off-center, kind of whispering slightly for... About 90, 90 minutes while this other stuff goes on. It's almost like, as if you could reach out and ruffle his hair. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it'd be. It seems like a lot of gels needed to keep that thing up. A little crimping. Okay. Uh, 
Dishonored trailer. Uh, one of the more, I guess, intriguing mm. revelations of the past little while. We'll uh, hopefully pick up more info at E3, which is so soon, but it's too early to talk about it, so I will contain my excitement. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, so, everybody seen it? What do you yeah. guys think? It's like oh, yeah. Bioshock with Assassin's Creed? And the Deus Ex? Pretty sure the, one of the people involved in this game designed City 17 and Half-Life 2, so that's why it looks yeah. a bit similar. I yeah. thought it was the exact the same thing when I was watching it. Yeah, some of the guys worked on the original um, Deus Ex as well. Well, that, there's, there's a lot of people with a good pedigree in games that are all kind of converging to create this dishonor. But I think the trailer pretty much tells you everything story-wise, doesn't it? I think he's been in jail wrongly, and then some dude kind of sets him free and he goes and kills the guy responsible but I'm sure that underneath there is the seedy underbelly and corruption and such mm. apparently set in a, um, a London in an alternate universe kind of a steampunk London in yeah. the 17th century hmm. from the 17th century is it? Is I think so, yeah. yeah it's um, I remember uh, Bruce Sterling I think could be classed as the father of steampunk in literary form because I think the difference engine that he worked on with William Gibson. I think that was one of the the first kind of steampunk books, so I'm sure it takes a few nods from there and cues. Because that was set in Victorian London. Um, is the 17th century Victorian, or was that 1800s? Uh, terrible. 1800s is romantic. Right, okay. My, my uh, history fails me uh, quite a bit. But it, it definitely looks interesting. Especially there was those like mechanized robot things walking about with the and how it kind of like vaporized the citizens as they were running away. The tall boys. But I'm expecting lots of power ups in the form of tea and crumpets. <laughs> so, uh, I'm hopeful anyway. I for one am very hopeful for this actually. In the first place, I think steampunk is underrepresented just a little in in in, 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 in literature at the moment. It's it's pretty. There's a lot of it out there. But well, there's a lot. There's a lot in books. Um, yeah. Not so much in movies, or I think we don't have a nice, definitive, classic steampunk movie yet. But I feel like we could use a really good Victorian steampunk game. Yeah. And Definitely. as we mentioned, this this game already has a lot of good pedigree going for it. It's connected to Thief, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Roughly, spin off there. It's uh, in a novel setting. It has good design. Good designers backing it up already. It's the beginning of a new IP, or it could be. I think it might turn out that, to everyone's shock, Dishonored is the smash hit that Bioshock Infinite wanted to be. But, oh, we'll see. Oh. Just, uh, just saying, just saying, it could be. <laughs> it does look very Bioshocky. It does. Uh, but less, less art deco-y, is it, I think? Yeah. But, um, steampunk, oh. steampunk nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I'd, it'll be interesting because I'm assuming it's going to have that free running element that was in Mirror's Edge. It appeared to be. Yeah, yeah, it's going to have some. Um, That's it, yeah. I've never really tried that. It'd be interesting if Connect worked with it, but you may end up like. Oh, now, see, now, see, now, 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 now look what you've done. <laughs> running up your walls. Yeah. Now look what you've done. You're just giving them ideas, man. Come on. <laughs> it would would be interesting. Delete this segment. Yeah, <laughs> and burn it. One of the. Uh, 
more interesting um, aspects of it was I um, saw an interview with the developer who was talking about how um, some new 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 gameplays emerged out of the mechanics that they've created. So they had something where you could um, you, you can possess people within the game and take their body. So they found that players, when they were player testing it, they were possessing uh, some of their targets they needed to assassinate, and then jumping out of buildings, and, and just before they hit the floor, possessing other people, so they'd survive, and the target died. Well, Sounds quite good. That's good. It's, it's like Driver, but without, you know, the vehicles. Yeah. The kind of possession. I like it. Driver with horse and car. Yeah, exactly, man. Whip it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, that, that does sound cool, because basically that's what happened with Half-Life, wasn't it? They redesigned the game around the gravity gun. Um, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Moving on. And some disappointing news. Stalker 2 was finally and formally cancelled after uh, quite a hiatus for the past couple months with uh, developers um, I guess running out of money and having all kinds of problems with the local government. So now they've kind of separated into their own studio and making their own free-to-play MMO FPS, which uh, is going to release sometime in the future, I guess. And the Stalker license remains with uh, GSC and the owner of that studio. I'm not sure if going the MMO route is a good plan for them, because we already have like Planet Side 2 and Firefall coming out, which are kind of in a similar vein of gameplay. So it'll, do, do it'll we have some competition. Do we know that this this new game's still going to be stalker-esque in, in setting and theme and everything? That's what they say, yeah. It's going to be a spiritual follow-up or what have you. Spiritual successor, yeah. I don't, is is free-to-play a way that developers are going now, even some larger ones? But is it a good direction to go in? I think from the market perspective, it must be, because when free-to-play first started coming out, a lot of people said, ah, oh, that's nonsense, that'll never catch on. But it has, and... I think it must be pulling in the money. Well, I know Team Fortress 2 has made a huge amount of money after it went free to play, so that could be kind of what's spurring this on. Just because crazy people buy hats. Yeah. Those damn hats, man. Oh. But how would free to play work on a console then? Say if they decided to do that. I don't know anything. Microsoft would not allow it for sure. Sony would have to really think about it because they do have that DC Universe Online, I think, MMO. That went free to play. And that's on PS3 and PC. Right. So I, th- I think it, it'll be interesting to see which way consoles go. Because say free-to-play picks up and there's a lot of casual, you know, is is it going to need, like, a disc tray anymore? Is it, or is it going to be just, like, you know, this standalone box thing that just... Well, up? see, that would, like I said, that would depend on the actual console manufacturers. So that's going to be a much bigger question to be answered if those games can enter the console market. PlayStation All-Stars, who played... The Nintendo version of this unique <laughs> game, and what do you guys think of this? Who didn't play the Nintendo version of this? I didn't. I didn't. You did. I think I did once when I was a kid. Wait, you're talking about Smash Brothers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You not? You guys didn't play this? I oh, played I Smash Brothers. A ton of Smash Brothers. Well, being a Smash Brothers veteran, I have to say. <laughs> Uh, I'm not sure if this will. Uh, I'm I'm interested in, in you know the all the idea of an all stars meet up beat 'em up you know of essentially PlayStation characters is what it is right yep. yeah yeah I'm not sure if PlayStation is so well built for it because the I want I can't believe these two words are coming out of my mouth but 
the Nintendo culture <laughs> is very the Nintendo culture is very fun loving multiplayer oriented anyway. It's automatically built for it. If Nintendo comes comes together and says, "Hey, we're gonna get Zelda and Mario and Kirby, and we're gonna put them all in a room together and have them beat each other up," everyone's kind of already on board with this. But I'm not sure if you can quite pull the same trick with PlayStation characters. PlayStation games tend to be a little less. This tend to be a little more hardcore, I want to say. Yeah, like, I, does that make I, sense? I see, I see what you mean. Like you can, you can see, there's nothing particularly like incredibly violent in Nintendo's catalog, whereas it, it's kind of a bit weird to to watch Kratos beating up Papa the Rapper. Like, you'd expect hmm. him to rip his head off, but like we've had great, like uh, we've had great. To compare to films, we have great cartoon films where lots of cartoon characters from different franchises get together in the same film, and it's Space cute. Jam. You, yeah, for like Space Jam or whatever. But can you imagine a film where it's like, I get it, we're gonna have James Bond and Luke Skywalker together? <laughs> I, I think I think it's weird. And Sky Cooper. <laughs> we know well, Nathan I, Drake fighting Kratos. I don't know. It seems a little bit single-sided. It's it's it's, it's just Sony's IPs. They're not as as kind it's of true. you. Know, well known as you know uh, Nintendo because there's so much history with Nintendo. But you like, look look to Sony and, and ask me who's going to be in the game, and I had to think before you know seeing the seeing the video. And like you've got Parappa, you've got uh, you know Kratos, and there was uh, that's what I mean. Trying to think about there's the clown from Twisted Metal, you know. The, the, yeah, they're quite old games. You know, you could probably throw Lara Croft in there, but I'm not, I'm not sure what she'd do. <laughs> I have a couple of ideas. Always back to Lara Croft. Well, I'm I'm sure she could do a few things. Uh, But it's just, it doesn't (laughs) seem like the pool is as big as Nintendo or as well known. That's that's my concern. I think they have plenty of characters to choose from. I think it is, as you say, just they're not as well known or maybe as well loved. They don't have as favourite of a fan base, really. Um, One of the uh, interesting things about it is that it's it's not, it's not an exact copy of Smash Brothers. The gameplay is slightly different in that you don't knock people off the stages. You have to uh, decrease their health and then use a super to kill them, which it it sounds like it'll have a different balance to Smash Brothers. So it's just a kind of beat-em-up, but with well-known characters. On a more serious note, uh, there was some discussion this week as the trial is ongoing for uh, Anders Breivik, I guess his name is, um, and his uh, potential influence that games had on him that uh, caused him to go on the massacre uh, a couple months ago. There was a Guardian article of it, but the gist of it was he would he had a, this kind of a manifesto written up, and he would play WoW to, I'm doing air quotes here, relax, um, and he also played uh, Modern Warfare, which he referred to as a police shooting simulator. Uh, but, you know, obviously the media got hold of this um, and kind of ran with it. You know, the old games are bad. But he, I think he said in court that they had no bearing on his actions. They yeah. just kind of went along with it. But, you know, the debates raged for ages, you know, since books, since radio, since, since TV and movies. You know, it's just the kind of hot topic or button that you know, because it's a it's a sensationalist headline if you blame it, and you know people read it, and obviously it storm whips up. I think people can also get away with it a little more because unlike TV and movies, we're still at that point where 
I feel like the population is kind of divided between people who play and like video games and people who never play video games and don't understand why other people do. Yeah, there's Does that, that make sense? Yeah, there's still that in- inherent fear, I guess, same as it was with rock music or whatever, <laughs> that people, uh, you know, if it's if they don't do it and they don't know anything about it, then they just believe if somebody tells them that it's bad, they say, oh, yeah, it must be bad then. They don't decide for themselves based on first-hand experience. And uh, you can't you can't always, I guess, expect people to have first-hand experience, you know. Um I don't see how middle-aged CEOs or businessmen are going to start playing games, but uh, it would be nice if it were more, more of a balanced perspective anyway. Yeah, but that, that's what I think the article alluded to. It said that mm. at, at the moment you have kind of editors and people in the paper who are not um, gaming literate as much as others, so if they see it, they'll, they'll kind of run with it because it's interesting. But obviously... Um, you know, sensationalist titles and media, you know, sell more papers, and that's the point of printing a paper, is to get um, people to read it. So as long as it's still in this kind of vicious cycle of a point of discussion, then it'll get recycled until it's not, um, you know, it's not really an issue anymore, but then something will replace it. But that's uh, just how it is. The scientist side of me um, wants to really point out that they have actually done a couple studies on this, all of which have not shown, well, at least all that I know, you know, have not shown any kind of connection between violent video games and violent actions. Yeah. It's just, but violent video games are widespread enough and popular enough now that, uh, you know, any time that someone does go on a shooting spree, there's a good, especially if they're a young male, of course mm-hmm. there's a very good chance that they've played video games. Yeah, not to look at it at all comically, but I do kind of wonder why, if he was playing, if he, if World of Warcraft really inspired this, why didn't he use a sword? But that was just <laughs> what I would have thought. Like they could have gone somewhere with that, but well, he could, he described Modern Warfare as a training simulator, didn't he? But you kind of got to wonder about anyone who sees Modern Warfare as a training simulator, what that says about their mentality in the first place. Yeah, something's got to be wrong with them if they think that. You know, there is there is a bit of a, a gap between you know firing a, a a gun in a game and uh, you know trying trying to hit someone or improve your accuracy. You know, I think that the difference there between the fantasy well not fantasy violence but the simulated violence of a game and the actual violence I think gamers actually have a much stronger grasp on that than people tend to think. A lot of people think oh it's you know it is a, it's a police killing trainer you know you're going through the exact same actions but i think the the difference is much starker well yeah because in, in video games i mean if you're smart you can you can tell that you're just killing just pixels it doesn't actually have any weight to it where it kills someone in real life i mean you're they have well, family yeah. or whatever it's it's completely different and hopefully most people are smart enough to make that uh to, to see that difference if, if, you, if you're an outside observer, if you don't understand games, it's, it's easy to look at something like a modern warfare and just glance at it and see, oh, somebody's shooting someone. It's not a good thing. But you wouldn't, you wouldn't understand that there's, there's a setup behind that. There's a reason why everything's being done. I mean, you'd see the, what's, what's the mission call? Is it No Russians? Or, I can't yeah, remember. but see, at yeah. the same time, at the you, same time, the developers should have some understanding of what they're putting out there you know you obviously know that Activision and whoever of developers was for that one they knew what they were doing 
they knew that this was probably not very not right to do. And yeah, it's optional to shoot people or not to shoot them in that mission or whatever, but you kind of know that they are still going for that controversy when they create these levels. So, you know, it would be nice to have some thought, you know, like, hey guys, hold on, do we, is this controversy really worth it? Because you know that the only people that are going to pick up on it is the media that already has a bad image of games. So yeah, now. And, and, and any press is good press. Well, that's the thing, though. Do they really need it, especially for something like Call of Duty? You know, why, why, why do that? Do you think they should censor that kind of thing then? They shouldn't censor it. I just think they should give themselves some mental checks and say, "Should we do we really need this in the game? Because this is going to be picked up not by the gamers so much, but at all the common media." And yeah, I can help you sell a couple of copies, but on the other hand, how many parents saw that and said, "Hey, I'm not getting my kid this game." But it is it is an eighteen plus game, so yeah, well, the children parents shouldn't shouldn't buy it for the children. I know, but they still, to that though. They, they do I, but again, that that's on them. That's that's not on developers. Yeah, but the developers are the ones that put the game, put that content in there, and so really that's, they're actually look, risking sales. It shouldn't be played by anyone that's under eighteen. I mean, it's up to the parent then. If the kid is getting hold of that game and he's under eighteen, then he needs better parenting. I know, but I'm I'm saying this from the developer's perspective. Yeah. I'm saying, what did they really hope to accomplish oh. by this? No, yes. well, no, I I can I can understand. I can envision developers actually thinking that they have good reasons for putting that in. I really do. Uh, whether it's to make a statement, not and not just to be controversial and maybe you know get bad press, which is actually good press, but either to make a statement or even just the the experience. I think people put violent occurrences in movies or in video games uh, in order to give a certain experience, uh, and what the experience that is is kind of up to them. Yeah, but I mean, now that we're here years later and Call of Duty continues to push that envelope, you know, with blowing up kids or whatever, the latest <laughs> one. You know, you have to ask if it's really what they're trying to do is to be creative and provide an experience or if they're just yeah, okay. trying to want to be themselves. Well, yeah. the, the, th- the thing is that they're confusing. They're, they're trying to make a statement like an, a, just a narrative one on based on empathy. But the thing is, with with the um, the Russian Apple and the kid in Modern Warfare, it's, it's a bit heavy-handed the way they the way they go about it, exactly. it isn't it isn't as tactful. You know what I mean? Um, there are better ways you can foster um, emotion without you know going through the easy route of you know blowing up an easy target. But um, with the Russian one, it was supposed to symbolise you know how far the undercover person was willing to go um, to that charade. You know, just to yeah. for, for for a bigger cause. Um, that's a kind of an extreme look. He's killing people to do it. Rather than, and they could have maybe they could have been a bit more subtle for a narrative reason. That probably would have given it a bit more weight. But you know, it's modern warfare. It's a Michael Bay kind of action thing. That you know, pulling at the heartstrings. They don't. They can't just tug them gently. They have to rip them out your chest. And one of the cool cultural things that we've come across, and uh, I've heard on Reddit, and a couple of sites picked it up as a news item. A dedicated gentleman decided to put together all of the Uncharted games' um, cinematics as well as um, throw in some minimal gameplay to string, uh, you know, logical leaps together and um, basically made them all into movies. And uh, it's cool, but unfortunately this was done in sub-HD, so uh, 
it's it's too bad, really, but uh, it still turned out pretty well, I guess. Mm. Have you watched it as a full film? No, yeah. I I can't. I I've played through all the games. I don't see myself bored enough to just decide to watch it through <laughs> normally. I I, 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 I wonder if they make good films as themselves standalone. They 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 do. It was um, and as I was as I was, I've said before, and um, they've done it with uh, Metal Gear Three. Because they are quite cinematic in nature. With, with oh, Uncharted, it, it, it is basically Indiana Jones. So I'm happy to, you know, have the, uh, the I won't call it chaff, but, you know, to kind of streamline it into a movie. Def- it's, it's dedication. And it was, you know, it's a fun thing to watch. Because, obviously, the, the, the writing's good and so is the direction. And that's what they said when they made the game. They just thought of action sequences and put stuff in the middle to string it together. Mm. So I think it works in that platform. I don't know, I think a lot of the point of the Uncharted games is you actually get to control a character through a uh, a movie-like premise, and I mean, yeah. by itself, the premise isn't anything all that exciting. It's pretty well done for a video game, but I think oh, what, yeah. what makes it special is your ability to actually control a character in these scenarios, and you're just watching them, it kind of turns into another kind of a cliched Hollywood movie. Yeah, I, I think that that was one of the... Um, I won't call it much of an issue. It's It's a popcorn game. Um, and I, I like the characters in it, and I like the settings. I felt that for some reason, I'm not sure why, every enemy, every main antagonist in the game series had to be British. I don't know where that came <laughs> But that is something I picked up on. And also, they were in London on the third one, and it was all, doop-de-doo, kind of Ray Winston. Oh, in a, in a, yeah. It was raining. Blimey. Blimey. <laughs> Go, come down these cobblestone streets and have a pint. And I was like, <laughs> it was raining. What a stereotype it rained. Yeah. Uh, hey, we'll have to put up with snow in Canada all the time. <laughs> but they, have, they haven't certain charted that yet, with with loads of people saying I'm sorry, and you know, <laughs> whatever they do. <laughs> but yeah, it was. I, I think think it shows their dedication, you know. And if you know, it's good to see that players can engross themselves in a game that much to do it. You know, they've really fostered quite a strong fan base, and you know, mm-hmm. that's that's a good thing. Well, yeah. I think it should have been in an HD first of all. And yeah. um, secondly, I don't know, like I, like uh, Tim said, like a lot of those sequences you want to play out because you control the camera angle, you know, like as you're hanging on a ledge, you you can actually turn the camera around and see this, the crazy views that the game has. And when you're watching it, uh, I didn't see any of that going on because he was just kind of focused on getting through the game yeah. and then getting to the next cinematic. So. I, I I still you know like this is by no means a replacement for actually playing through the game. Oh no no. But uh, yeah, I guess it was it was alright. You, you hear that guy who made it? Alex didn't like it. Take it down. <laughs> yeah. Bring back something better. Next up, hot topics and rumors. Yeah, see, that's exactly what I've been yeah. saying for the past three shows. That's well, how else can you work? Oh yeah. No, no, you can say, like, and now we go into the dangerous and mysterious territory that we like to call... Hot Topics. If, if, this, if this section was a chili, it'd be a four out of five or something. I don't know, because it is Hot Topics. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to this man! <laughs> Let's just roll into it. Dota yeah. 2 is free to play, or should be, or will be somewhat, kind of, a little bit, somehow. This is going up against the Diablo 3 and all that good stuff, and against... Um, Defense or what's that? The Warcraft Three mod? League of Le- League of Legends. Yeah, League of Legends. All, all those all those spin-off games. Um, I guess they figured that selling it would be tough, so they decided that it's probably going to be free to play. 
Mm. Well, let's see. You said, I mean, you said going up against Diablo three, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't okay, think it yeah, would really that's, count. That's fair enough. But the League of Legends, and also there's a Blizzard developed version that they're well, kind of fighting in terms of the name. Remind me um, on this because the original Dota is still up and running, but that's technically free, right? Yeah. As long as you own Warcraft three. Yep. League of Legends, that's... What's that? Is that free-to-play? I think to play? it's free-to-play yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so essentially maybe they kind of had no choice. Oh, yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. No details on that yet. Uh, Diablo 3 Open Beta um, ran over the weekend, and it was kind of very late that they announced it, so there was a lot of login problems and server issues and things like that. I personally didn't jump on it, but I think Tim did. Yeah, I wanted to give it a try, and first, I, I couldn't even download the stupid thing, but I, I, it turned out there was some setting in Windows I had to change, and I finally got it downloaded, and then I couldn't even start the game because of server issues, and I finally got in, and it was, uh, I thought it was pretty fun, but I haven't played the uh, previous Diablo, Diablo games, but yeah, there are definitely some issues with the logging in. Do you think it will be hard to go up against, you know, alternatives like Torchlight? I mean, obviously it's going to sell a lot because it's Blizzard and because the fan base is immense, but does it really offer anything that's huge and super evolutionary? I mean, well, it's like any Blizzard game. I mean, it's not its not the... Uh, it's nothing really novel or really exciting, but it's really polished and really really well-made with kind of fun, relatively fun and simple combat and fun but simple loot mechanics, and I think that appeals to a lot of people, just the simplicity of it. Deca Kane in it. Um, I don't know. I only played it for like an hour and don't know who Deck Arcane is because I haven't played the original two. Oh, right, right. right. Um, yeah, because I played, I played Diablo 2. Um, I, th- I think it's, it's one of those games where you either get into it um, and, you know, just can't pull yourself away. But I think maybe because I came to it a bit later, the the repetitiveness never really stuck with me. It, it was fun, but I, I always find myself leaving it after a couple of hours and not coming back. I think that's ju- just the way I am, though. But there, there are people that love that game. I agree, actually, because I've played, like, I've played a Diablo 2 clone, and I've played Torchlight, which are all very similar. And mm. in uh, response to Alex's question, I think, uh, Di- I think Diablo 3 will have enough... It, it does have a novel enough approach that I don't think it'll encroach too much on Torchlight 2 when it comes out. Uh, yes, they're both hack-and-slash uh, sort of Oh, I forget what you call that. Dungeon looting. Yeah. Dungeon crawlers? Yeah, I can slash dungeon crawlers, thanks. But uh, as Tim said, the polish in Diablo 3 is very nice. Little things, very nice. little things like the way that monsters appear. Uh, all the monsters that I fought were uh, shambling up out of graves, climbing over cliffs, jumping down from trees to get to me. Yeah. A very immersive experience. I know, check because uh, it's the weird thing. I played Dungeon. Is it Dungeon Master? Sorry. Uh, um, oh, I can't remember the one. It was it was the Dungeon one. Uh, <laughs> That's so. I can't remember either. That is so so detailed. I know. I know just, just dungeon Siege. There, oh, yeah. dude, Dungeons. I love dude. Love exactly. I, I was I was playing that. Um, and I I thought that was good. I played but I played a lot of Baldur's Gate and stuff like that. Um. But I don't know, I could never put myself into Diablo that much. But I, I played a, I pulled, played Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance, which was kind of like a, a dungeon crawler mixed with, I don't know, a kind of third-person action adventure. 
And that, that that was awesome. But unfortunately, they never made a new one because I think they went on to make a Black Isle. I think got disbanded then. But that's that's another story for another time, I'm afraid. Yeah. I, I kind of feel actually that if they're not careful, Diablo three might uh, traipse into uh, the World of Warcraft area a little. Oh. I mean, sorry. No, no, that that was me reacting badly to it. <laughs> oh. Well, you you know what I mean. It, Diablo two. The you know the multiplayer aspect of the Diablo series is like you said it's kind of the fun of it is sort of in the looting system and the simplicity and in you know beating up a lot of monsters and stuff. But what's the difference between the, doing that in World of Warcraft and doing that in Diablo? Yeah. Well, to be fair, one of their big promotions um, for a while, for a couple of months, um, was quite simple. You you buy. Uh, year-long subscription to WoW, and you get Diablo 3 for free. Mm-hmm. So that was done. So obviously they know what they're doing, keeping it all within their own uh, stable. <laughs> so they separate them. Yeah. yeah, interesting. So what do you guys think of Wii U and being to, able to download your games on day one, which is something like the uh, PS Vita did not too long ago, um, and it's actually cheaper if you buy the download version instead of going to the store. Yeah. So the Wii U is going to do that as well. Well, that's what I'll be interested to see if um, Nintendo actually price them cheaper. I, I can't see them doing that. Um, I think it's quite cool, though. Um, there aren't that many games at the moment that you can download day and date with the retail release on the 360 and the PS3, are there? I think Mass Effect 2 you could do it with, probably 3 as well, I'm not sure. Yeah, and again, it actually varies. Um, so on PS3, you can. On 360, you can't. No, there's been nothing on 360. Yeah. So, I, and that, again, has to do with the manufacturer limitations uh, yeah. and all that. So, it's surprisingly forward-thinking for Nintendo, and um, it'd be quite cool just to be able to download Mario and and uh, Zelda, whatever comes out on day one. And hopefully, it's going to be a little more robust than the current online offerings of their consoles. Yeah. Well, I think I think it shows that they're going in the direction of having a fully robust on, online system, which is a good thing. I think I think I'd, maybe it's just me being cynical. Um, I think it's good that they've got downloadable titles, but I'm thinking like the Wii is a you know it's your family machine. Is my eight-year-old grandmother going to know how to go to the Wii store and pick up Mario, or is she going to try and hobble into you know a games outlet and you know gesticulate wildly while pointing at a case? You know which is going to be easy for her. Well. As long as both options are there, it's fine, right? I mean, it's not like they're going download only. Right, so, so they don't lose anything off it. Yeah, exactly. Well, like, yeah. They just give you a choice with this, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. I think it is, and I think it works well for Nintendo and for Nintendo Wii. I mean, you gave the example of it being a grandmother, but if you had said you're seven-year-old... Once mm-hmm. my seven-year-old... Well, not that I have one. If I had one, if I had a <laughs> seven-year-old... Once I get one. Yeah, once my seven-year-old, uh, you know, learns the basics of how to get a game, he will understand how to buy one from there on out through, through, uh, I mean, to to buy it online. It'll so be easy for him and put so, GameStop out of business. Yeah, buy a seven-year-old with a Wii cheese board tablet thing. Also, <laughs> maybe it's just me, but Nintendo uh, Wii doesn't seem to center around so much the the hardware side of games. I mean, I mean, when was the last time you went to a release event for a Nintendo game? Well, I was the uh, Nintendo Dance Party too. Uh, I eat my words. <laughs> yeah, with a. Uh, was that but, was that for professional purposes or purely for fun? 
I wanted to say it was professional. I did try and write it off as a business expense, but it wouldn't cover, you know, the grass skirts and the Hawaiian shirts and everything. And I guess another note uh, that came along with this news is that uh, Nintendo is actually in the red right now, losing money on their latest yearly report. And they also said that the price point for Wii U will not be revealed at E3. I don't think it'll be too expensive. And in financial terms, I don't uh, think this poses much of a problem for Nintendo. I think they'll weather it because they've got a lot of liquid assets. It poses a problem for me because E3 is not going to be as exciting. Yeah, this is true. But um, Nintendo, I think it's a £500 million loss, isn't it? And for Nintendo, I mean, they only really have the video game side of their business. Say for Sony or Microsoft, they have like other other aspects of their business. They have other other businesses within there. So they have other things they can uh, fall back on when the Xbox loses money, when the PlayStation loses money. But for Nintendo, it's, it's surely quite a big thing. I, th- I think I think they'll survive. You know what I mean? Uh, it does, but Nintendo in general seems to be slowing down at the moment after the peak of the DS and the Wii. It seems like, you know, they've reached another N64 kind of territory. Maybe. Yeah, it does kind of feel that way. If if the Wii U doesn't take off, I could see it going back to that kind of situation. I, but I think the downloadable thing—they've got quite. A, if they get up their own kind of PSN network, because I think Nintendo games are a lot less. Uh, space intensive. So if you have all these little like party games, you can dole out to people. Uh, oh, good. You... Let's let's flood the market on no, both retail uh, and downloadable. Yeah, but obviously they'll need Nintendo quality control. But if there is a, a you know a market for that, you know, um, with the Wii, you can just get these games for like ninety nine cents or whatever, and you've got something to play at your party. And you can just download. Oh, good luck. And... <laughs> I don't know. It's an interesting way to take it. And maybe they'll do that, so you can, you know, get the dev kit for that, and that expands as another platform, as well as your iPhones and your Droids. You've got, you know, a Wii U. Okay, so for our question of the episode this week, we are going to discuss our top games where you play as an anti-hero character, and I mean, it's a little bit ambiguous, but uh, just whatever you whatever you come up with is probably fine. If so, it's not uh, fine, if Tim doesn't approve, he gets slapped. I will banish you from this podcast. <laughs> Virtually slapped. But uh, I can start if you like. The three that uh, came to mind for me was, uh, the first one was Geralt from the Witcher games. And I mean, you might think of him as a kind of a, someone who does all these heroic things, like he protects the king or whatever, but uh, in reality, he's always in it for himself. He's trying to figure out his past and protect the few people who really matter to him. And it's he's a real badass, I'm not going to lie. I enjoy playing as him. Then uh, another one, is a little bit more complicated, is uh, I actually haven't played the first Darkness, but in the second Darkness, uh, the character Jackie, and kind of in combination with uh, the Darkness, he's kind of it's kind of an interesting dynamic where you're basically like a diabolical monster, and it's it's pretty fun. You just feel like an absolute beast. It's it's interesting. I got to play the first game as well. For number three, I picked. I actually stole it from someone else I saw, but uh, Mr. Marston, John Marston from the Red Dead games, he's kind of a, he has a past as a criminal, it seems, and he's kind of being coerced into helping the government catch criminals. And uh, yeah, I, I thought he was an interesting character as well. Okay, uh, who is next? Who wants to go? I'll go next. Uh, my three anti-heroes, first off, or, or games where you play as anti-heroes, first off, Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, which 
you I guess you're sort of a nameless protagonist, uh, and even though you do end up kind of saving the world in a sense for most of the game, you're a new vampire and you're just out to make money, survive, and drink some blood. And if that's not an antihero, I don't know what is. Next is StarCraft, uh, the original, just because... Uh, for of the many reasons why the original StarCraft is great, one of them is the progression that it takes you when you play through the campaign. First playing Terran, which are sort of these morally ambivalent characters, and then playing Zerg, who are the official bad guys of the game. Uh, I think this is an important move that games are missing out on, uh, because to have the whole middle section of the game be devoted to you intent on destroying all the good guys before the climax occurs... Uh, that was a great part of the game, I thought. Every game should do it. And then last of all, I'm going to go old school here and say Rampage, the old arcade game, mm. which used to be in all the roller rinks. Uh, it's simple enough idea here. You play as Godzilla or King Kong or I think there are a couple other monsters to choose from. And Mothra? this is just, well, No, you, you couldn't. But I was about to mention this other indie game that no one's ever heard of where you could play as Mothra. <laughs> So much fun. Uh, and it was you versus the civilians versus the army. This is a formula that needs to come back to the gaming world. I want a game where I can be the rampaging monster again. And it was so much fun to do it in Rampage. There was a remake of Rampage in The Last Generation, wasn't there? There must have been. I remember yeah, like in, in the 90s, wasn't there? Um, well, in the 2000s, I think. PS2, oh, was it? Yeah, I think it was oh, PS2. Oh, was it Rampage 64, saying that? Oh, was it? Okay, it might have been. It might be older than I'm remembering. Maybe I, I don't know. I can't remember. But awesome I, I think players get all the good games. I'm gonna have to look this up. Top three antiheroes. Cool. Um, well, my first one isn't really kind of a specific character, but in uh, Peter Molyneux's Dungeon Keeper, I suppose it's kind of you because it's it's sort of a god game. So your role is to basically destroy everything that you come across, kill all the good in the world, and. Um, just uh, plunder and pillage um, a, a, a small village. And then the next one is Wario, the antithesis of Mario. Mm. And then uh, Tim kind of stole my last one, is in John Master. <laughs> I kind of enjoy enjoy that he's got quite a complex backstory in the sense that he used to be um, he used to be a bandit, he used to be part of that gang, but um, he's tried to uh, he's tried to get out of, it, of those. Um, those ways and try and become a good person, but he's got drawn back into it, so he's gone back to his um, his, his evil ways. Not really evil, but you know, killing people. So yeah, they're my three. My three would be, um, and again, continuing the trend of stealing off each other. Uh, <laughs> Gerald from The Witcher, I think was uh, again was quite an awesome character to play as, mostly because he. He was able to remain so independent, or at least you know he had the choice to remain completely independent of whatever political shenanigans was going on, and kind of just did your own thing the whole time, even if it meant uh, screwing up somebody else. You know, didn't care, whatever. Next is uh, the Grand Theft Auto Three character, um, and Claude. Was it his name? Yeah, it's Claude. Well, okay. He was, <laughs> you know, didn't really say anything ever, but uh, Grand Theft Auto Three remains um, my favorite game in the franchise and I just thought that it was it was really well done and it was I don't want to say taking a page from Half-Life on having a silent protagonist and you know actually have it really work 
but uh, it was pretty close, I think. And, you know, he had to do a lot of bad things, but uh, at the end of the day, he kind of stuck to his own guns. And uh, my third choice is Alex Mercer from Prototype. And this is purely because it came to mind, because I'm playing through Prototype 2 currently. Um, look for that review soon. And he was really, really messed up. And it was, the story was a little hard to follow, as it is in the sequel as well. But, um, yeah, he was kind of doing his own thing. Um, has no problem absolutely decimating crowds of people. Uh, soldiers that are shooting at him and civilians alike. Um, and, yeah, at the end of the day, you know, you still kind of questioned whether or not he was a total jerk or if he had some kind of greater purpose or, or, you know, that he was doing a lot for. So those are my three. My favorite uh, three would have to be Agent 47 from the Hitman series. I don't think you'll find a, <clears throat> one of the better um, anti-heroes in there. Um but yeah, he's always out for himself, and obviously your mission, even though they may have some questionable backgrounds, your targets, some of them are just innocent people. But um, it's just the way it goes with his uh, game. Um, but as the series progressed, he kind of maybe slid toward kind of more heroic endeavours with uh, rescuing people and things like that. Um, and then there was Kane from um, Legacy of Kane series. Uh, I'm thinking about the first one here. Um, not the subsequent ones where you were just a man and then turned into a vampire and then you just went around basically you know sucking the blood of hot women chained up in basements and getting spells where you could explode people uh, oh, I have to look this game up again yeah yeah it was great it was um, I can't, third person perspective great game um, then finally there was Dante from Devil May Cry hmm. I think who's the you know even though his job is a demon hunter uh, he doesn't really do it for altruistic reasons. He does it because he wants to, you know, ride his bike, eat pizza, you know, and just generally kick ass. Uh, so, yeah, and he's usually always out for himself, but kind of gets roped into helping people. So that's my three. Right on. I like how you threw that in there, that uh, Agent 47 is obviously the best choice out of everybody. Yeah, well, he is. That's so. a good one. <laughs> Very, very professional opinion there. I, 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 was, I was trying to say more, it's more of a quintessential example, you know, of someone who's just a dead straight anti-hero rather than ones who are a bit more messed up. He's like on the black side instead of the grey side, if you know what I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's, what, that's what I was trying to uh, get at. Thanks for tuning in to episode number three of New Game Netcast. We hope to see you back for our next episode on May 13th, 2012. And as always, please remember to visit www.newgamenetwork.com for the latest and greatest video game news and reviews.